It is a debate with no easy answers, but a simple question. What is the greatest era of mixed martial arts ever? What a finish! What? What a finish! No matter how long you have been a fan of the sport, you have heard this sentence said. There's never been a better time than now to be an MMA fan. But now has spanned decades. So which now is the best now? Or has the sport just gotten better and better? No peaks, no valleys, simply a line that perpetually goes up. It's what makes this sport the greatest sport in the world. What's up, everybody? Super excited to announce today that we've got a brand new partnership with HVMN, health via modern nutrition, and us, MMA on Point. If you haven't heard of their game-changing product, Ketone IQ is taking the body fuel world by storm. So what is it? It's a daily shot packed with ketones, which are a macronutrient which are clinically proven to benefit your energy levels, as well as focus, athletic performance, appetite control. There's some mad science in these little guys. We've been implementing it into our daily routine, pairing it with coffee in the morning, and it's been helping with anything from script writing, editing, or even just coming up with ideas around the office. I mean, look at Luke. Look at him go. He's editing like a madman. He doesn't have any sugar or caffeine, and so after drinking it every day, we've kind of just noticed a sort of consistent energy level throughout the day, really. They do say ketones are 28% more efficient as a fuel than glucose alone, so I believe it. If you're the kind of person that drinks energy drinks or coffee all day long, you might want to consider this as an alternative. It's a lot healthier and just evens you out throughout the whole day. Definitely no spikes or crashes with these guys. If you guys want to try at home, go to hvmn.com and at checkout, use the promo code MMAONPOINT and you get 20% off. If you're interested, go ahead and give it a try. They've got a 60-day money-back guarantee as well. I'm Tommy from MMA On Point. A huge thank you to the biggest channel support Supporters in our Hall of Famers, let's try to settle this debate. A clarification to start here, I do not mean the best era in terms of talent. Like all sports, there are perpetually upward trends in that regard with rare exceptions. I'm talking about the best era to be a fan of mixed martial arts. But what is an era in this sport? Well, that's almost as debatable as the topic of this video, and unfortunately there's no Microsoft and Carta for MMA to tell me the exact start and end date of each significant time period. But hopefully the hundreds of thousands of words I've written about MMA over the last decade will help us narrow them down. Let's start at the beginning, shall we? Or before the beginning, rather, in the primordial era. Now, technically, this goes all the way back to thousands of years ago in ancient Greece, but I'm sure you're more interested in the modernity of the late 80s and early 90s in Japan and Brazil. Ballet Tudo events, Shudo, Pancrace, Fight Network rings whenever that actually became real. It's such an exciting period, watching these foundational fight cultures forming the raw material that would become MMA. Their roots going all the way back to the same sources and ending up in similar places halfway across the world at the same time. It really is an MMA miracle. Japanese pro wrestlers experimenting with shoot fighting, the Gracies and their jiu-jitsu in Brazil taking on all comers. Everything was right there and absolutely ready to explode. To go back and learn about it all has been one of my favorite things about making videos for this channel. I could watch old Valley Tudo fights or Shudo events all day long and never get bored. It's like watching the MMA cosmos being formed before the Big Bang that would be 
UFC 1, a very obvious kicking off point for the No Rules era. Alright, now we're cooking the true birth of mixed martial arts. The early UFC is just so damn compelling. Sure, it was an infomercial for the Gracies, but what a pitch, especially to the uninitiated. It was a martial arts movie come to life. All these different fighters from different backgrounds, locked in a cage, no rules, even though there were rules, but whatever, no rules. It was the rawest thing you could possibly put on television in the 90s, and that is saying something. I mean, I've had sex on stage with men, women, and animals, and everything in between. Everybody from that era has a story about somebody coming over with a VHS tape that didn't have a label and it turned out to be UFC 4. You felt like you were watching something you shouldn't be watching. And the presentation. Say what you want about where the sport has gone and whether this era was good for its image, but truly those early events looked like a video game. It's just so much fun and we were learning so much about the ground game, about how fights really work, and yes, the No Rules era doesn't have a ton of great fighting, but it did did have legends like Hoist and Ken Shamrock and Dan Severn, and it was just so damn fun to watch, even when it was bad. Unfortunately, it was a bit too much fun because it led to the Dark Ages. Yeah, all that marketing about no rules and people maybe dying, it essentially destroyed MMA in the US by UFC 12, as most states wouldn't allow fights and most pay-per-view providers wouldn't air the stuff. It's a kind of pornography. I mean, it's, it's the taking pleasure from something that shouldn't be seen. This is just one step away from what the Romans were doing with uh, gladiators 2,000 years ago. Uh, it's really human cockfighting. There's a terribly dangerous sport in which people could be permanently damaged or actually killed in the ring. It's a race to the bottom. I just think it's barbaric. It was nearly impossible to watch, even home video releases stopped by UFC 22. So basically nobody saw these fights until years later unless they were tape traders like eventual matchmaker Joe Silva. That said, did anything good come from the Dark Ages? Yes, it actually helped save the sport in the US because in a desperate attempt to regain sanctioning and market availability, UFC owners SEG implemented weight classes, standardized gloves, stopped the one-night tournaments, helped develop the unified rules of mixed martial arts. Essentially, the modern version of the sport was born of this era, as was the mixing of styles with guys like Maurice Smith. Randy Couture demonstrated the dominance of Greco-Roman, Vitor Belfort, Frank Shamrock, Pat Miletic and his fighting system, the beginnings of Tito. It's fascinating to go back and watch now and see everything coming together like it was with guys that are now legends of the sport. But as the UFC lay dying for four years, something else was happening on the other side of the world. The Pride Era. More people were watching the UFC in the mid-90s than were watching boxing and professional wrestling. The way they marketed the thing in the beginning was on the basis of brutality. And they banned mixed martial arts from cable television. It just cut out the main source of revenue. The big marquee names could no longer be afforded by the UFC. Pride Fighting Championship came along in October 97. They had a number of advantages there where they were able to outspend and outcompete the UFC. Turns out Japan saw UFC 1-2 and they wanted their own. They wanted to fight the Gracies. It started with Valley Tudo Japan, they even got Hickson, but it didn't end there. All those proto-promotions had Japan ready to prove that their shooters were the best fighters in the world. This national pride would culminate in a massively ill-equipped Nobuhiko Takata taking on Hickson himself in front of 48,000 people at the Tokyo Dome, a one-off event that created a golden age. 
Because while MMA was an absolute squalor in the U.S., Pride FC was thriving. They had all the best fighters because they could actually afford to pay them. Gangsters do have cash. They had these massive events. The scale and spectacle on display in Pride is still unmatched today. Their unique take on the rule set and their use of a ring instead of a cage, along with their fascinating booking of freak show fights mixed with top-tier bouts, and of course those glorious tournaments, made Pride FC just the greatest thing ever. Fedor, Big Nog, Crow Cop, Vandy, Sakuraba vs. The Gracies, Shogun, Rampage, Bob Sapp. I seriously want to stop saying words right now and just go watch a bunch of Pride. Shut the fuck up! For many, it was the peak of the sport, a decade-long run that took MMA to heights that nobody could have possibly imagined when all of this was forming back in 1997. In the middle of that run, though, something happened back in the U.S. That dying promotion, the UFC, a bald guy and his billionaire buddies bought it to kick off the Zufa era. Now mysteriously sanctioned in Nevada and back on pay-per-view as they desperately needed, the UFC was ready to make a comeback. The branding changed, the attitude changed, they were marketing hard to what would ultimately be their longtime strongest demo, males 18 to 34, and while the Fertitas were hemorrhaging money to keep this thing alive because still nobody was watching, they were making some damn smart moves. They increased the production value massively, they got themselves hooked up with cable TV sports shows, they marketed the shit out of Tito Ortiz and Chuck Liddell who both just screamed 2002. Yeah. I thank everybody just for coming out and supporting us. It's uh, waiting for this fight for a long time. Got your back, Chuck! Yeah! Thanks, everybody. So, thanks, thanks for coming out. They bolstered talent like Randy Couture, BJ Penn, and Matt Hughes. They brought back legends like Ken Shamrock. The UFC was the right kind of edgy and hip again, just like it had been a decade earlier. They were taking all the right steps, all the pieces were there. The UFC that would explode in popularity was the UFC of this era, and they were right on the cusp as they neared bankruptcy. The hugely successful days of 300,000 buys have not returned. Since we've taken over and we're back on cable now, our average is between 50 they call it 55,000 buys. Expectations were coming back to pay-per-view. We're going to get the 300,000 viewers that we once had. That hasn't proven to, to be true at all. So expectations on the pay-per-view have fallen short, and I think it's going to take some time before they reach the, you know, that 100,000, 150,000 barrier that they, they need to start being successful again. All they needed was a spark, and they got it. This is the true story of 16 strangers picked to live in a house and have their lives taped to find out what happened when people stop being polite and start kicking the sh out of each other. He wants to knock me out. The ultimate fighter. 16 guys vying for two contracts in the UFC. Living together, training together, and fighting each other. It's difficult to fight your friends. I'm taking down, count his ass. The ultimate fighter. Premieres Monday after Raw, only on Spike TV. The Ultimate Fighter reality show, along with the epic fights and interesting personalities that came with it, would be the catalyst for the UFC's newly found popularity and would create a wave of success unlike the sport had yet seen in the US. The year previous, the UFC only put on five events, but with the added Spike TV Fight Night cards, they doubled the year of the first tough season. In 2006, they would double again. The stars of the Zufa era were now mega stars. Welcome to the program, Chuck. How you doing? I'm doing great. Hi, Amy. Hey, this is Yes, he is. You've been uh, you've been hit a couple of times in the ears. Uh, yeah. See that? Yeah. yeah is that what happens when you do the ultimate fight and you get smacked I in the ears? I got to do some wrestling. Boys.
Forrest Griffin and a host of other tough fighters became massively popular as well. This was truly the first time that MMA had a taste of the mainstream in the US. You could mention UFC to a friend and not get weird looks anymore. We saw the rise of Anderson Silva, the rise of George St. Pierre, so many classic seasons of tough. Spike president Kevin Kay signed the show. When you were the first yeah. to, to take a risk on this sport. Yeah. Why the UFC? We were excited about mixed martial arts because we thought young guys would be into it, and we thought that the kind of talent that they had there was the kind of talent that guys would aspire to be. And all this popularity led to the birth of other competing promotions. Elite XC had shows on network television starring Kimbo Slice. Strike Force was born and had legit top-tier talent. Back in Japan, Pride was still on top of the sport until it abruptly died thanks to their gangster owners getting jammed up. So the UFC, now rolling two years into the Boom, bought their name, bought their library, and bought their biggest stars minus Fedor, making the promotion even more of a juggernaut. We finally got to see dream fights like Chuck versus Vandy, and then along came Brock fucking Lesnar. I have never failed a f***ing drug test. At first, White doubted any WWE star could do well in a sport where the outcome isn't scripted. They're athletic and those guys are in great shape, but I, I wouldn't call it competition. Coming over to mixed martial arts, it's it's a big jump. UFC 100 would do 1.6 million buys. The UFC expanded into smaller weight classes with the acquisition of the WEC. Chael P. Sonnen changed how the sport is promoted. When I beat you in Brazil, I'm gonna leave a whole lot richer, but I'm not going anywhere till that old lady makes me a steak for dinner. All of this would culminate for a deal with network television, a seven-year partnership with Fox Sports. Hello and welcome to Studio 2A at the Fox Network Center. I'm Joe Rogan and I'm very excited that you're able to join us today for this historic moment for Fox Sports and the UFC. When the dust had settled on the boom, the UFC was the only thing left standing. They'd purchased Pride, Pride's replacement in Japan Dream was dead, they bought Strike Force, there was nobody left. It was time for world fucking domination. Velasquez, Aldo, Jones, St. Pierre, Silva, Cruz, Johnson. The era of world domination kicked off with one of the most dominant groups of champions the sport had ever seen. The level of greatness in the UFC was no longer in question. Truly the best of the best fought there. And for the first time ever, that included women, thanks to a rising star that would flip the sport on its head in the next two years, alongside an Irishman that nobody saw coming. But before we got there, so much happened. The UFC nearly doubled their events per year, peaking at an absurd 46 in 2014. GSP left. Silva fell. Dillashaw became champ. We learned about TRT just long enough for it to get banned as Vitor Belfort tore through the middleweight division. Chael Sonnen, so massively influential in the previous era, would be forced to retire temporarily due to PEDs. The brief period after the tough boom truly felt like it was the peak, like there was no way that MMA could get any bigger. Man, were we wrong because Ronda and Connor would turn out to be megastars on a level the sport had never seen before and very likely will never see again. And the SP goes to, please don't beat me up, Ronda Rousey. I wonder how Floyd feels being beat by a woman for once. <laughs> wow. I like to see you pretending I know who I am now. Wow. People are always saying about the talk, and I talk, and I talk, and I talk, but guess fucking what? I back it up. I back it up. 
this wasn't MMA famous, these two skyrocketed the sport into the mainstream era. Everybody was watching Ronda Rousey and Conor McGregor fight. Everybody. People you didn't even think knew what MMA was, they were watching Ronda and Conor. Record numbers, massive shows, and with all this new mainstream attention, the UFC tightened the ship up. Drug problem? Not anymore. We're partnering with USADA. Fighters are walking out with Condom Depot written on their ass and getting money for it? Not on our watch. Sponsors are done, and everybody is wearing uniforms we just made a big money deal for with Reebok. We didn't know it at the time, but Zufa was preparing to sell the UFC. And at the very peak of Ronda and Conor Mania, right before a little bit of a dip, they made their move and sold the promotion to Endeavor for over $4 billion. Ronda would disappear, double champ Conor would go box Floyd Mayweather, although he would come back for the biggest pay-per-view in UFC history. In the absence of these stars, though, there was still so much great talent competing in the UFC. This is the era of the Jones-DC rivalry. The rise of Stipe Miocic, Joanna Violence, Tyron Woodley, Bobby Knux, Triple C, and Habib Nurmagomedov. Bisping had his storybook title run, and then it was ended by the storybook return of GSP. The women's divisions were expanded on. All of this massive mainstream success would culminate in the biggest shift in the UFC's business model in nearly 20 years when the promotion partnered with the worldwide leader in sports to kick off the ESPN era. The UFC has a new home on TV. ESPN has secured the television rights to the UFC. The network will broadcast up to 30 events each year and will pay the UFC close to $1.5 billion over the life of the contract. No longer was pay-per-view the end-all be-all of the business. The world was changing. Everybody was cutting the cord. Streaming was the future. And for the UFC, the rights deal to air their product on ESPN's new streaming service was a jackpot. Truthfully, streaming was for all of MMA as other brands like One Championship, Bellator, and the PFL all saw major opportunities emerge to vie for the number two spot in the sport with the rise of all these platforms. Mixed martial arts was more accessible than ever. That said, you had to have ESPN Plus to even buy UFC pay-per-view now. The middleman was gone. The buy rate not as important anymore. The volume of content was what mattered, leading to the rise of the Contender Series and overloaded fight nights starring many of those Contender Series fighters. Which isn't to say that the product wasn't great still. Jorge Masvidal set the sport on fire. We saw the rise of Kamaru Usman and Israel Adesanya. John Jones stepped away, leaving a black hole at light heavyweight. Connor returned ever so briefly to shoulder check Cowboy. Volk won the title. Things were honestly going pretty great in the early goings of this new era. But right after it had truly begun, it was forced to an abrupt end. You know, we, we have no choice now but to postpone these fights. So we're postponing the next three events, and uh, we're hoping that this all clears up you know, by April. That's right, it's time to talk about the pandemic era. With the whole world shutting down due to COVID, the UFC lost an unprecedented five events in a row, eventually bucking the trend of other sports and firing things back up right in the middle of the pandemic, primarily in their home facility of the Apex with zero crowd. In fact, minus a few events with very small crowds in Abu Dhabi, for 45 straight shows, the UFC would fight in front of zero fans in near absolute silence but for screaming coaches. 
Worried that shutdowns could happen at any time in the US, the UFC partnered with the UAE to create Fight Island in Abu Dhabi, one of the best marketing campaigns the promotion has ever thought up for something that honestly was kind of trivial. While this time period was rife with fight cancellations, we also saw some truly amazing stuff. Justin Gaethje finally ended Tony Ferguson's run, Habib retired as the champ, Stipe retired DC and then fell to Nganu, Izzy cemented his legacy at middleweight, Big E and Moreno kicked off their rivalry, Max Holloway went god mode, Connor and Dustin was a massive hit, all of this in a very brief time period that honestly felt like decades. Finally, in April of 2021, the UFC for the first time in over a year went back to full arena shows for Usman Masvidal 2. Despite the hardships, the UFC was doing better than ever somehow and came out of the pandy primed for the modern era. Uh, arena record broke the arena record. The new arena record broke our own record. The arena record. Eight of eight pay-per-view sellouts this year ever since we brought fans back. 14th consecutive sellout. 21 consecutive sellouts. 27th consecutive sellout. So here we are. It's today. Hello today. If this video were a map of the mall, the modern era would have an arrow that says you're here above it. After the pandemic, the UFC went full speed ahead, and their value since the sale to Endeavor had tripled. They decided to keep on using the Apex Center for fight night cards, likely saving them tons in costs. They doubled and tripled down on the Contender Series signings on Connor still Connoring. Tough returned. The UFC's parent company bought the WWE and merged them together to form TKO. Now, what will define this current era is yet to be seen, but if there's anything about this brief history of the sport that I just ran through that holds true, it is that change is constant. Alright, so now that we're all on the same page about literally everything that's ever happened, what is the answer to the question that started this entire piece? What is the best era of the sport? Now, I'm guessing that you're sitting there with an answer, but I'm also guessing that you're sitting there with a different answer than me, than Valiant, than Jason, or Tom, or Luke, or Max, or any number of other fans of the sport who have come across this video. The question of the greatest era in MMA is one of those bar topics. You sit there with your buddies and you have a few brewskis and you debate. You know what I feel like? A mother effing beer. Anytime I've broached the topic with others, it seems often that the first era you were exposed to, the thing that got you hooked on the sport, that sparked that magic in your eye, to you, that was the peak. And if you're like the many who fall into Luke Thomas's five-year cycle of fandom, you probably bailed out around the start of the next era, which to you is probably the worst. I came into the sport during the Zufa era, and I do love that period, but I also love Pride, and the Tough Boom, and the Primordial Era, and things are pretty great right now if you ask me, I have no definitive answer to this question personally, and I'm guessing you probably don't either. Truthfully, I didn't expect there to be an answer. I actually tricked you into taking a nostalgia drift walk down MMA memory lane. I made this video because I love those bar debates, and I wanted to provide you all with a framework for this topic, because even defining eras isn't an easy thing, and each of them have their pros and cons. So now, in the glorious comment section below, you all get to debate about which era is true truly the best and why you're more right than anybody else. For my money though, to take a phrase from John Anik yet again, the greatest era of MMA is the friends we made along the way. But my biggest thank you goes to our wonderful channel champions. If you love On Point and want even more exclusive content, or want to have a voice in the creation process for our videos, consider becoming a member by clicking the join button below the video. If not, all good, but liking and subscribing would really mean a lot to me. I am truly looking forward to reading about your favorite eras in the comments. Thanks for watching, everybody. Have yourself a wonderful day.